Welcome to the Bartender Atlas podcast. This week, I talk with Samantha Kasuga of the Dead Rabbit in New York City. I'm Josh Lindley, your host. And before anything, though, uh, I know the world is real weird right now, and doing podcasts seems kind of insignificant or trivial, but just like going to a bar, use this time to escape. Sit back, listen to this, shut your brain off for a minute. Uh, Sam has a great story. Uh, she moved from Calgary to Montreal, and then from Montreal to Calgary, and then to Victoria, and then back to Calgary, and then to New York City. Uh, she talks about long-distance relationships, days at the beach followed by nights behind a swanky hotel bar, and she has some advice for uh, anyone thinking of making the move to New York. Here she is, Samantha Kasuga on the Bartender Atlas podcast. Samantha Kasuga, where did you grow up? I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Yeah, born and raised? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you went to elementary school, high school, even post-secondary there? Uh, I, well, no. I moved as soon as I was 18. I was out of there. Okay, cool. <laughs> but for elementary school and high school, did you like them? Did you enjoy school? Yes. I am one of those people that just, like, I loved school so much. I loved high school so much. I, like, I loved all of it. I was always, like, in a really big rush to grow up, hence moving right when I was 18, but, like, I still loved it. Yeah, what else, like, what made you like high school so much? Um, I went to a high school called Western Canada High School, and I feel like it was, it was, like, an, downtown high school is one of the oldest, but they, um, just had a really wide variety of programs that different students were in. So you had like IB, you had um, other students who were like in different sports, and I was in ballet, so I was really training rigorously in ballet most of my childhood. And so by high school, um, I had to go to kind of more of a specialized high school. And Western was just dope because it's just so there's so many different people. I met like my best friends there, and yeah, we just had a really good time. So. Did they have dance classes in your high school? They had, like, a regular high school dance program, but what mine was was affiliated with Alberta Ballet. So that's the ballet company within Alberta, and they have a school called Alberta Ballet, um, and how they were doing it at the time when I was still in it was if you were training in their professional division, you would have to leave school around 2 p.m. every day just to make it to class. Um, which was fine with certain high schools, such as Western. So I um, formulated my schedule around ballet. Is ballet, like, a big deal in Calgary? Is this something that, you know, Calgarians can count on going to see? Is there, like, specific theaters or whatever that, like, it sounds like yeah, a pretty, I mean, it sounds like a pretty serious program. Yes. Like, Alberta Ballet is definitely one of the major ballet companies within Canada. So... Um, the training program itself, it, maybe only two other schools were just as intense. You have the National Ballet School and then the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School. So kind of beyond that would be us. wasn't as, in, as intense because those kids would actually have to, like, live on, like, live on campus. But, you know, for us, we just walked from our high school to the ballet, so. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and you said you left as soon as high school was done. You got out of there. Did you do post-secondary somewhere else? I went to Montreal. I went straight to Montreal. I did university for like two years in like journalism and 
I quit ballet like right before I graduated. So I had 12th grade, like a normal teenager, and it was so awesome. And like all of a sudden, I was finding all these like inter- new interests. I was really into like religion and politics and journalism and I wanted to go in that avenue and then so I went to Concordia and I like took writing classes and um journalism classes and then like most 18 year olds living on their own in a major fun city I just like was a total dirtbag and partied (laughs) way too much and like (laughs) two years later I was like you know what Ah, I should probably go home this is like a terrible, terrible way of living my life right now. Well, I mean, <laughs> I also, let's not pretend that Montreal, especially compared to Calgary, Montreal has some things that most, I mean, not just Canadian cities, but cities in general, Montreal has a lot of uh, temptations there. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, live, you uh, lived yeah. in Montreal for two years, studied a little bit of journalism, world politics, that kind of thing, and then you moved back to Calgary? So and by the time I was moving back to Calgary, I was like defeated and just didn't know what to do with my life. And like, ugh, it was just back to Calgary. Well, how old were you? 20. Yeah, I sure. 20 years old, yeah. I feel like 20 is when you have that first, what am I doing with my life moment? 100%. Yeah, it just happens. Um, so when you got back to Calgary, what was what did you end up doing for work right away? I got back, it was the summertime, um, actually, <laughs> I started working for my mom in her office, like, as an assist, like, an administrative assistant for these two brokers, and, like, they gave it to me basically out of pity, because they don't really need an administrative assistant for the summer when it's so slow, but <laughs> they took me in anyway, and that was, what, like, a weird nine-to-five stint in my life. It was fun, but how did that uh, how did that go along with your already doubting what your purpose was? Oh, when, like for sure, like this is not for me. I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, honestly, like at the time, it was fun, and you know, again, twenty years old, you're just kind of trying to discover the world. Like it was a whole new experience for me. Um, but I mean, that was only for the summer, and I think actually pretty quickly after that, in September, was when. Um, I took my first restaurant job, which was actually my best friend who was working at a wine bar called Vineyard Room, the hostess, she was going back to school, so she needed to find a replacement, and it happened to be me. Is that, is that place still open? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, I feel like in Calgary, everything is either open for two years and then done, or open for 30 years. Yeah, open forever. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, so you started as a hostess yeah. and clearly it bit you. Oh, did yeah. you start, uh, taking floor shifts at that place or did you start looking at other it places? Was a little, well, it was a little bit of a slower process for me in the beginning. It was like, I hosted for maybe like a year and a half, um, started like food running, started getting more involved, started really getting into wine and like, you know, but I was, so I was about to start training to serve, um, but by that point, I had already made a new decision to move to Victoria. <laughs> so that's something I wanted to talk about, too. Um, anyone, any listeners that are outside Canada might not know this, and I'm sure it happens in every country, is that 
there's pockets in the country, I find, especially in Canada, because it's such a huge country and there's only really like three or four giant cities. Um, I feel like everyone in the prairies decides they're going to move to Vancouver at some point, And everyone, say, east of Thunder Bay in Canada decides they're going to move to Toronto at some point and sometimes Montreal. Mm-hmm. But uh, you made the decision to move to Victoria instead of Vancouver. What was the draw for Victoria? Well, at the time, and the reason why I was moving was um, my boyfriend at the time, who was my first serious, like really serious boyfriend, really wanted to move to the interior of BC. Mm-hmm. He had some family there, um, but he also had family in Victoria. And I was like, I want to move to Vancouver. Like, first, like you know, I'm still young. I'm not trying to like settle down <laughs> in the middle of like the forest. Yeah. Not that I don't love it, but you know. I still felt like I needed to be more city-wise, but um, Victoria just kind of became the compromise. And I'm really glad, obviously, but, um, you know, I fell in love with it. I thought it was really sweet and quaint and, like, still busy enough, but kind of had that more small-town feel that that he was looking for, at least. Right, and I mean... Needless to say, that relationship did not last. (laughs) (laughs) But living living in Victoria, you can get out to nature in like a half hour drive, right? Oh my god, it's the best. Yeah, it's the best. We would like in the summertime, you know, me and Josh and Ken like, oh, and Robin would drive out to like a lake and just jump in and swim for a little bit and then go to work, you know, or go down to the ocean and have a little time and then come to work. Like in the summertime, I would roll into my shifts with like salty hair and like super <laughs> so awesome. so obviously those are some of the pluses of victoria um i don't want to sound like i'm shit talking victoria by any means here but um no. so <laughs> victoria especially 2000 this would have been 2012 2013 you moved there yeah yeah exactly so at that time victoria and i mean i you can say the same thing for any sort of cocktail centric city was pretty white and pretty yeah. male when you moved there, uh-huh. uh, I can't speak to it now. I honestly yeah. haven't been there in a few years. But how did you feel about that? I mean, it was again. It was another slow movement for me. When I started working in Victoria, I had no. You know, I was still trying to even just be a server. I wasn't even close to becoming a bartender yet. But it was already difficult to get into the industry into Victoria because it's so tiny. So like you have to have a lot of experience. You have to kind of like know people to get into a good job there. Um, I think I definitely, it wasn't until I was actually bartending and behind the bar that I saw that, you know, that I actually realized, wow, there are a lot of like men behind the bar and it is just actually just men. And, that's, I feel like that's why when I started, it was all of a sudden a big deal. Like, oh, there's a new girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Not to discredit myself, but I feel like when I did start bartending, it was like I got a lot of attention for it. And I think it is honestly because I was maybe one of two women. Uh, Katie McDonald was out there at that point too, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. I mean, give, give Katie a high five. You know, she's good. Um, so so you stuck around Victoria for a while, uh, worked at yeah. Veneto, yeah? Veneto. Veneto, Veneto, Veneto. <laughs> Western Canada accent. 
yeah. Toronto yeah. accent, whatever it is. Um, and then you did something that is even stranger than deciding to move to Victoria instead of Vancouver. You decided to move back to Calgary. <laughs> so, so at this oh, point, yeah. so at this point in your life, you've left Calgary twice, <laughs> once to go to Montreal, which most people would claim as being a super fun, super like metropolitan city. And then you move yeah. to Victoria, which is, I mean, the joke is newlywed and nearly dead, but there's a big university there. It's a fun town. There's some stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, and then you decide to go back to Calgary again. What drew you back home? This is a mix of a professional um, choice, but also personal. Once again, in another relationship, I like, I mean, we'll get there, but obviously you know, like my track record with like long distance relationships. I just somehow fall into them, but I was one in one again, and he was in Calgary. Um, but also I had been approached by my friend Cody Willis, um, who was about to open up what is now Native Tongue um, to come and do the bar program. And Cody and I had been friends in Vin Room, my first restaurant job, and had remained really, really, really good friends. Um, so we had, you know, some, one time he talked about moving to Copenhagen and doing a stash there, and I was like, I'm going to come. So it just kind of became like, well, I'm actually going to do a restaurant now. And I'm like, cool. Do you want to be part of it? Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't like immediately okay. I had to think about it, but it, it kind of made sense with being in a relationship with someone there, my family being there. And, you know, I think my time in Victoria was kind of coming to a close anyway. I kind of just needed the next step, so... It's a it's an important thing to recognize when you uh, have sort of reached the peak of what you're going to learn in a specific situation, right? Yeah. I don't think, like, you know, for me, it didn't feel like a step back. It definitely felt like, you know, it's a new chapter, and yes, it'll be totally different. I mean, the cultural community back then, too, was, you know, not very big in Calgary, so it would, I knew there were going to be some challenges, but... Um, I mean, it still felt it still felt good because I just knew I was going home, and I really don't see any negative connotation with having to move back home. Yeah. You know? um, did you find that Calgary was really welcoming when you got back? You mentioned there wasn't a whole lot of a cocktail scene happening at that point, but uh, when you got there, there's definitely been people making drinks in Calgary for a while. When you got back, yeah. was it was it oh Sam's back from Victoria, or was everyone pretty happy to have you home? Yeah, no, I, I mean, everyone was pretty happy about it. Um, I did manage to meet some of the Calgary bartenders before I even moved, like when I was still really in Victoria. Um, and I would go home a lot and still go out and like meet people. So I still had a pretty good footing on, you know, um, other bartenders and, and industry people. But, um, yeah, I mean, I also had to work <laughs> in basically – every other bar until they finally opened. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool actually was to work in like multiple venues and really get to know different people and work under the, um, work alongside them. And um, that, I mean, that was awesome. Did you find that that really informed okay. how you went about uh, managing and putting together your list for Native Tongues? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, I think at the time... Um, you know, this proof had just opened, like really just had opened. Um, I was at Miltegra for a while, 
which was really, really fun, but it was so different from what I was used to. Um, and I then had done some work at Oxanga and Angie's, so I did the restaurant thing for a while. But by the time it came to like Native times, I had a pretty good idea of like who I would want um, and what kind of people I wanted on. And then within even hiring with Native times, you know, we, um, oh, we, we kept it pretty young and also kept it open to a lot of people we didn't know. And I think that was really important for me is I wanted to find people who really just wanted to learn. You know, I didn't want someone, I didn't want to poach people. I didn't poach anyone. I just left the door open. And so I was like, waited for to see who would come in. So I just want to touch back a second on Veneto. What was the service style and the cocktails like there? So swanky little hotel cocktail bar. I mean, you remember walking into that room. It's just like, there's the bar. There's the marble. There's like these crazy chandeliers, mirror, like beautiful. Um, and I mean, I might be biased, but I, you know, I just imagine walking into that Simon Ogden's face just like, Hi, welcome, and you immediately feel like, whoa, I'm in, like, a really cool bar. And the service, I feel, you know, the cocktails obviously were, we took them seriously, but it was always for, it was always fun, and when I was there, I think the staff, they were just, you know, everyone really, really, really knew their, knew their shit, but, um, you know, wanted to keep it professional, and I think, I think that uh, it was one of the, like, really pivotal cocktail places in, in Victoria at the time. Right, and then you left there, you go back to Calgary. As you said, you kind of bounced around and hit a couple places, but you said you spent a bunch of time at Milk Tiger. Can you talk about what service was like at Milk Tiger as opposed to Veneto? <laughs> oh, then in the complete opposite way, Milk Tiger, I mean, the one thing they have in common is that they both bars put a big emphasis on classics and knowing your classics and being able to like build on the fundamentals of like cocktail making from classic cocktails. But... Milk Tiger, I describe it as this like punk rock divey cocktail bar. You know, it's like a little bit maybe not so divey, but like a little bit of like a hole in the wall, like unassuming. And then you walk in, and you know they're not using like the fanciest tools. They're not like it's it's so the opposite. It's so the opposite of pretension. It's just they're wearing whatever the fuck they want. I remember like. <laughs> You know, we just show like literally roll into work wearing whatever and just crushed out drinks and had a good time. And it was just so much more casual. Um, but also on the flip side of that, it had to, it kind of made me into a stronger bartender because I had to let go all of this, like, um, I don't know, not manners, but like I had to have tougher skin because the clientele there definitely was a little bit <laughs> different. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was the first time I ever had someone like, say something to me like negatively as a female and I like instead of you know kind of just taking it I was like hey I, I remember the first time I ever actually snapped at someone and like kicked them out of the bar it was very empowering <laughs> I really like the uh, idea of you kicking someone out of a bar I've never seen it happen hopefully I never oh, yeah. have to see it happen and that you don't have to do it anymore but uh, just the idea <laughs> of someone your stature and so smiley and so friendly all the time <laughs> just deciding that you had enough. Yeah, you know he must have said something really crude. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got both these places as sort of primary influences as you're opening Native Tongues. 
Um, uh-huh. And you kind of pick and choose from each of those things. Uh, how long were you at Native Tongues for? Well, yeah, you did the thing that every bartender claims they're going to do for at least, you know, two drunken hours one night at some point in their career. You moved to New York. How did that come about? Yeah. <laughs> Sheer luck. Seriously. I just, I, sometimes I still look back and I'm like, how, how did that happen? But, um, you know, I think early on in my career, I definitely made that a thing in my mind. Like, not necessarily New York, but I wanted to be somewhere bigger, you know, eventually. And, Calgary was that stepping stone of like doing my own program and learning how to be a better manager and, and a leader. Um, and then, and then how I got into any sort of connection into New York was when I moved back to Calgary, I really started to like branch out and push myself out there internationally and attend more conferences and attend more events in the United States and make more connections. And, you know, I did like, I'm pretty sure it was you who told me to apply for um, camp for That sounds and like something. That did. sounds like something I'd do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I, I did bar institute first in Portland, and that's when I met a lot of people. And then when I got into camp for the following year, um, you know, I already had kind of that base. So then built on that, and honestly, I mean, this story has been told, but you know, in at camp, that's where I met Jason Vita, who. Um, became my partner and he was working at Dead Rabbit at the time so it was still a long time after that after we met that I would eventually get into Dead Rabbit and he wasn't even working here by that point but um, that was kind of like that was the New York connection you know and um, I would say like yeah it's, it's definitely half and half of my own doing and kind of the luck and you know meeting Jesse and, and following in that that direction because of course once again not only did I want to move to New York by my like for my own self but in another relationship <laughs> so uh, you know a lot of bartenders try to write books about bartending and cocktail technique and like uh you know guest management and all of these different things when are you going to write your book about maintaining long distance relationships <laughs> <laughs> you know Jesse and I used to joke about like uh, well not even joke we used to think about maybe we should do like a seminar based on uh you know like how to maintain long distance relationships we actually did um a bartender at large uh episode with eric castro Mm -hmm. based on long distance dating um by no means are we experts as we look at the current situation but (laughs) um you know i will say that um I, I do have a lot to say about it. You're right. <laughs> I do have a lot of advice, and you know, I, and you learn. You every with every long distance relationship I've had, I've definitely learned. You know how to how to navigate them, how to make them, how to have them actually succeed, and then and then kind of recognize when enough is enough. Yeah. You know what? We'll uh, we'll make that part two of Samantha Kasuga on the Bartender Atlas podcast. It'll just be about long distance relationships. <laughs> I'll get in touch with I'll get in touch with all your former partners. It won't be awkward. It'll oh, be great. Yeah. Oh, it'll be so great. 
Okay, so uh, so right away, as you moved to New York, you didn't just move to New York and see what was happening, but you moved to New York and immediately yeah. jumped into working for one of the best known and most populated popular bars on the planet. Uh, so there's a few different ways I can go about asking questions here. How did it come about working at that bar immediately? So to move to the United States, you have to be sponsored um, to get your visa. So I am on an O-1 visa, which is, funny enough, named an extraordinary talent visa, which they give to anyone that they basically can't put into a, a particular box. So it's like models, DJs, chefs painters, you know, like anything that they just can't classify as like a, as a one of the other visas. In your case, that's all of the above, right? Yeah. <laughs> Model, <laughs> DJ. Exactly. I'm all of them. Um, but uh, yeah, to get to get one of those, you definitely have to be sponsored. So I, that's why it kind of took me a while. You know, like I knew when I met Jesse that I wanted to, I already knew I wanted to move here. I wanted to move here before we met, but. With, he was definitely like more of a reason to really get it going, you know, more motivation. But I mean, we—I took my time. I got a job. I got a job um, offer in Seattle. I got a job offer in Minneapolis. And they were very tempting, and they wanted to sponsor me. But I just knew I needed to be in New York. And then with New York, when you get a visa, you're locked into that place for three years. So you better really like really love that place, you know. And dating Jesse, obviously, when I would visit, we'd go to all these cocktail bars and really kind of think what would be the most, like, practical choice of a place where I would actually approach them and try to get a job. One was, like, Nomad because, you know, they're a huge company. They would be able to – they would be more okay with sponsoring someone. Um, and then, you know, other bars, too, but with Dead Rabbit, I just – the minute I walked into that bar, I loved it immediately. And I had always had a connection to it, and I always loved it. And um, Jesse at the time was like, you can't work at Dead Rabbit. Like, it's a conflict of interest. But um, over a few months of, you know, working professionally on certain, on certain events and certain, on certain platforms, we definitely saw more eye-to-eye on the professional front. So by the time that there was a spot open at Dead Rabbit, I mean... Obviously, he wanted me to come over, but he knew that that's what I wanted. You know, that's the only bar I really, really wanted and could have seen myself signing my life away for three years. So it, sound, um, it sounds like it was a bit more of a process moving to New York than, say, when you moved to Victoria. Oh, it's, it's a huge process. I mean, it was, and you know, you just never know if it's actually going to happen. That's part of the, the crazy thing about moving to New York. When someone has done it, it's like, Yo, you really put the work in because it's not easy and I mean that's only one part once you move to New York it's a whole, <laughs> whole other ball game but even just trying to get to work legally and like move there is, is a whole thing but I mean I was prepared for it you know I, I knew like I said I knew early on what, what I wanted to do so I hustled in my first few years bartending I did everything I could I got into tried to get into every article every competition whatever you know I'm really lucky because immediately Sean Sewell was like, hey, be in my book. Like, any of these things that happened for me, I'm so grateful for because it really did help me get to where I am. So they ask for those things. They want you to be someone in your community and, like, convince them why you would be of value in the United States. Yeah, and I mean, part of that, though, that's – it's not just 
not to take away from, you know, the writers who paid attention to you and like Sean Sewell, obviously champion for everything Canadian, despite being Australian. Um, it, a lot of that comes down to you putting yourself out there and being willing and open to accepting that oh, kind yeah. of recognition as well. So like, you can't just put it on everybody else. You did that, Sam. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I mean, Hey, when, when I, I do get a lot of bartenders who come into the bar and then they ask me about it, you know, and they ask, what is your advice? What can I do? And I will actually sit them down and tell them everything I did. Like, I'll be honest with you. I, do everything you can to just get your name out there. And if you really want it, you're going to do it. And there's been some people who really, really been doing it. You know, they listen to my advice and they just push themselves and they will be able to get here eventually. And so we're talking about bartenders specifically outside of bartending. Mm -hmm. What would you say, like not career wise, not cocktail wise, any of that. And I mean, it's handy that you had a partner at the time when you moved to New York. What's a piece of advice like not related to immigration or anything that you would give for someone who thinks they can just move to New York and just roll with it. What did you not know? And now you're just like, how did I not know this? Oh yeah. Be prepared to be humble like every day. And in some ways really small, like really tiny ways. And then some days really big ways. Like, I mean, there, there are, everyone moves to New York knows the, like, initiation points, you know? Like, you're going to fuck up the subway, and you're going to take two hours to get to, like, on, like, a 30-minute trip, and you're going to have days where someone's so mean to you or crude to you or, or whatever. Like, you're just, you're going to have those days. And, you know, I was told that before I, I moved was, just be careful, like, you know, be prepared. You're going to have, you're probably not going to be very happy for six months, a year, you know, but I think, um, I think that expecting that, but also like reminding yourself of why you're there and why you want to be there and how lucky you are to be there really helps. So like every day I, if I got, you know, if I had a terrible subway ride or whatever, I would get off of the subway and be like, whoa, I just stepped out onto, like, Park Ave, you know, and this is epic, and, you know, or there, you know, I'm biking on the Brooklyn Bridge, and I almost hit someone because they're standing in the middle of the bike lane, of course, but then you're like, holy shit, I'm biking the Brooklyn Bridge. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Reminding yourself that you found yourself in what most people would call one of the best cities on Earth, right? Oh, yeah, and embracing it. Like, there's so many you know, there are many things that someone could look at me and be like, so negative, people are rude, it's dirty, whatever. But, like, to me, that's part of the charm of it. Like, you know, it is New York. It is the best city in the world. And, you know, I'm I'm very happy to be here. And I was pretty lucky. I I felt like it was home immediately. Uh, and then the last thing I'm going to ask you, you sort of touched on it. Uh, you, you know, you're riding your bike over the Brooklyn Bridge. What else do you do on your days off? Um, well, I do a lot of yoga, mm-hmm. which is obviously for fitness, but, you know, as well as my mind. Um, and I'm really into that. But besides that, I just like to live. I like to explore the city. I like to cook at home. 
sit with friends, go out with friends. Like, I just, and especially this past year for me, um, you know, I'm single, I'm living on my own in like my own little apartment in the East Village, and I am fully immersed into being head bartender now, and it's just like I'm finding myself more and more as the days go on. So I just, I finally feel like I'm really living my New York life, and that I get it, you know, that I'm a part of it. And that's what I do. <laughs> I just live. And then some days you end up just like practicing ballet again. <laughs> you know, one day, maybe one day. I mean, I do go see the ballets here and they're, they're awesome, but maybe one day. Again, you know, I that, dance in my mind. <laughs> and that's awesome, Sam. Uh, so if anyone wants to reach out to you or uh, come visit you at the bar, are there specific nights that you're on or how do they follow you on social media, all that stuff? Yo, follow me on social media, that bonita funk. Crazy, weird username. I know it was one of those times that you like signed up for like Instagram. I didn't even think it was going to be like a big platform all of a sudden. Everyone's on Instagram and I have this weird username and I just have to stick with it. La bonita funk. Uh, but, you know, I'm at Dead Rabbit all the time. <laughs> at Dead Rabbit all the time, except for when you're in yoga at class or recording podcasts. Except when I'm at yoga. Yes, exactly. Correct. 100%. Amazing. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. Yay. Yay. And thanks again to Sam for taking the time to talk. I know a lot of people listening have some extra time on your hands right now. Uh, thank you for choosing to spend that time listening to this. I'm Josh Lindley, and you can reach me at Bartender Atlas on all forms of social media. If you've got ideas for the show, please reach out. Until next time, keep your jigger level. <laughs>